Well, before we jump into the teaching, let's take a moment and uh, just lift up the people of Ukraine and ask the Lord to, to help them today. Father, it's so encouraging to come to church and uh, we see the chaos, we see the pain, we see the loss of life, the suffering. You see article titles you can't even click on when you, when you see a six-year-old uh, dying in the war. And uh, what do we do with all that? And you tell us we can cast our cares upon you. And so we do that now in prayer. But as we worship you, our faith grows. Lord, as we sing out that you reign above it all, uh, we grow in our belief of that and our trust and hope in you. And so we commit this situation to you, Lord. We ask that you would bring about peace. We ask that you would prevent loss of life. We thank you for the church that is uh, boldly putting their trust in you, singing songs in the, the shelter of a subway station. Lord, we thank you that you're getting glory, Lord, that, that believers are kneeling down in the squares and praying and news stations across the world are picking it up and not knowing even how to handle it because of how, what a moving moment it is, Lord. So Lord, please, please intercede, please help. Pray for the church in Ukraine, Lord, that you would give them boldness, that you'd give them courage, that they would have peace and comfort. Lord, we also pray for the church that's in, in Russia, Lord, that you would just uh, be with them now too. So. We commit this difficult situation to you and ask for you to show yourself powerful in Jesus' name, amen. Hmm. It's hard to like watch the news and it's hard to not watch the news, right? It's hard to look away and it's hard, it's hard to watch. And sometimes we can even become desensitized to the great pain and suffering that people are going through because we're constantly being bombarded with difficult things. And so uh, we have to ask the Lord for sensitive and vulnerable hearts to weep with those that weep and to have that draw us to prayers so that we can be a part of, of God helping them. Well, we are in John chapter two today. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and, and turn there. In our Come and See series, last week in John chapter one, we were reminded just how much Jesus loves us. So we should go to him with every need and, and thing that we have. And we should bring as many people to Jesus as we can because their God loves them. Today in John chapter two, we see that Jesus can be both the life of the party and a killjoy. And it really depends on what is being celebrated, right? People can get behind anything and rejoice over anything. God cannot. God can only get behind that which is good. And so we have to think, what do we celebrate in life? What do we support? What do we get behind? What gets us really excited? And we want to, we want to rejoice in those things. And sometimes we don't even celebrate well. A couple of weeks ago, I'm ashamed to say, there were two pastors at Cornerstone that on Monday night basketball, when they normally play on Valentine's Day, they decided to still play basketball. And um, they made the phone calls to see who else was coming. And nobody else said they were coming to play basketball. They're like, we're going on dates. What are you talking about? You're gonna get in trouble. And so I just wanna, I just wanna put it out there that Pastor Raul, who did the announcements, decided to play basketball on Valentine's Day. I'm really disappointed in him and myself. We, I just think we have the coolest wives that would let us play basketball. They're, they're mostly upset at us. And sometimes we fail when we're trying to celebrate. Last week, Abigail came home all excited. Sometimes I get, when I get a FaceTime call at, at work, it's usually one of the kids trying to tell me something about school, which is so sweet. And so Abigail's all excited. Dad, you won't believe it. There's 26 people in my class 20 of them failed the math test, but I got a C plus. I'm like, woohoo! 
all right, we're celebrating a C plus. And so we went out for ice cream because Abigail has struggled in math and yet somehow the Lord gave her the strength to pass this test. And so we all celebrated with ice cream, rejoicing in that hard work. So what do we celebrate? But also what breaks our heart? Right? What are we a killjoy about? And we can't be rejoicing with others in this. And for many, we're thinking about uh, the Ukraine-Russia conflict right now. And just my heart is broken for them. There's so much suffering, so much pain, so much anxiety and worrying. And we see in John chapter 2 that Jesus, his heart is broken over sin. That Jesus sees the suffering that sin will bring even when people are rejoicing over that sin. And he can't get in on that. We'll see today that as followers of Jesus, we have more to celebrate than anybody else does. But we can't ask God to rejoice with us over something that is outside of his will. And so we're in John chapter 2, verse 1, where we see Jesus in Cana of Galilee. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And then Jesus said in the most kind and sweet and nicest way, woman, 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 why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so we've got this first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John, but it's an interesting one. Jesus isn't healing somebody who is sick or suffering. Instead, he's increasing the joy of a newly married couple at their wedding reception. You think, man, what a, Jesus is using his miraculous power to increase joy. He's responding to a need that his mother mentioned, and he's, he's honoring her by, by blessing this family. It's interesting. Now, it's important to realize Jesus actually is not being rude to his mom here. It, it sound, every, every way you kind of read it, you're like, it just sounds rude. We have to remember, we speak a different language than they did at that time. Right? We are 2,000 years apart from their culture, and so we're not going to be able to interpret this the right way. We are thousands of miles away from that culture, and we have a different culture. And so however we think about it, we have to realize by the response of Jesus' mother that she wasn't offended. We know everything about Jesus is that he is good, and so he wasn't trying to hurt her. But I, I try and be a biblical Christian, and so I'm thinking today after lunch, when my wife says, sweetie, would you, you know, please do the dishes? I spent a lot of time cooking. I'm thinking of just responding, woman, why do you involve me? Because I'm a Christian. And this is in John chapter two. She's a Christian woman. And so I expect her to turn to the children and say, do whatever he says to you. 
and then I will look at my servant children as I have a remote control in my hand and say, do the dishes. And they will gladly do that because we want to follow the Bible in the Dean house. And so if you don't see me next week, that's what happened. I was too biblical for my household. It's also good to talk about here. This is kind of a shocking miracle because you're like, wait, some people don't even think it's okay to drink wine. We have to talk about that. The sin in the Bible that is described is drunkenness and, and drunkenness alone. That's the sin. That's the, that's the abuse of alcohol. Jesus obviously doesn't think that drinking wine is a sin. And so how do you handle that? Well, you should use wisdom. Almost always wisdom is going to set a limit in advance of how much someone should drink, right? There needs to be wisdom in these choices. We also need to avoid judging others. Just because you are choosing to, you know, restrict or abstain from one thing doesn't mean that we should judge others or be legalistic about it. Shannon and I don't drink. I didn't grow up in a household with, uh, with alcohol. And all, like, just so much of my life that I hate happened while I was abusing alcohol in college and uh, running away from the Lord. And so we choose not to do that. But people drink in front of us, and we don't give them a hard time about that at all. We honestly, not even quietly in our hearts, will, will judge others about that, that they have that freedom. And so the scriptures make it clear, drunkenness is the sin, and that's it, but let's use wisdom with that. Now, this passage shows us that Christians have more to celebrate than anybody else in life. I mean, a believer knows that they were created by God, that God loves them so much that he made them, that he loves them so much that he came to them, that Jesus came to this earth so that we could be forgiven of our sins right, that he would die on the cross in our place so that we could live with him forever. There are so many reasons to celebrate, even during difficult times like this past week where some are just having a struggle with what's happening overseas, and then others are like, I'm having the worst time of my life here in this valley, and that's happening overseas. But we know that God is with us and will work all things out for good for those that are called according to his name. And we know that God has good times planned for us for millions of years. And so no wonder we are told to rejoice in the scriptures. Lots of reasons just in the Bible to rejoice. Weddings like this passage, birth, victory in battle, goals accomplished, harvest celebrations and holidays. And this isn't just like a New Testament idea. Jesus, when he, nope, Jesus is dead. The father, when he was establishing the nation of Israel, said this in Exodus chapter 23, part of their rules you are to celebrate a festival to me three times a year. Part of the rule, if you were gonna be an Israelite three times a year, you had to party. You had to celebrate that you had a God that loved you so much that you had to remember him. Celebrate a festival is a term that you can only associate with joy. There's nothing boring about what's happening there that God is commanding them to do. Jesus in the New Testament is always at a dinner party, it seems, or he's always talking about parables of feasts that people, that people can have. And so we have plenty of reasons to celebrate. Just this week on Tuesday, my family is starting an annual new celebration. It's the Dean Family Seafood Boil. I've never done it before. I've never even eaten it before, but I bought a 100-quart pot that has like a little strainer that, that comes out of it. And it took me an hour to bring it up to boil when I was testing it. I got all these spices coming in from Louisiana. I've never even had a crawfish, but I'm going to be boiling all kinds of crawfish. Why? I want to do it. I think it'll be great. Life, life is good, and I want to celebrate. And so we're going to have an annual. I'm already making, no matter, even if it goes bad, this is an annual tradition. Every Mardi Gras, we're going to be having a seafood boil. If what we celebrate is good, 
then we need to invite Jesus into it, right? If, if what we're doing is a good thing, then Jesus can make it better by inviting him into it. This wedding was good, a God-honoring marriage. That's a good thing. Jesus was happy to be there. But Jesus being there, him being invited made it better, right? He increased the joy there. In John chapter 2, verse 10, it says that master of the banquet, tasting this wine that Jesus had made, said, you have saved the best until now. Jesus being there literally prevented there this being this big disappointment, and instead the joy continued because of him. Now, if you do the math on this, and if I'm honest with you, I'll tell you I did the math wrong first service, and it wasn't awkward at all when Pastor Ron Armstrong corrected me on the math, and I was like, well, that's embarrassing, but hey, this is a new service, new calculator, new math. And so they're 20 and 30 gallon stone jars. Let's just be conservative and say four of them were 20 gallon jars and two of them were 30 gallon jars. So this is like a least possible estimate. When you do the math on how much wine can be in a gallon of, of water or of anything, Jesus here is basically giving out 700 bottles of free wine. We think, oh yeah, Jesus gave a couple extra cups here and there. This is equivalent to 700 bottles of wine that Jesus is giving. Right? He's, he's generous in what he does, and he will increase our joy. And so invite him in to whatever you do that is good. Right? Invite him into those situations, and he will make it better. There's a family at the church that just kind of casually mentioned uh, that they were going on vacation, and they were asking for advice if I knew any ministries in a particular area because they're trying to create the habit of, hey, we go on vacation for seven days. One of those days, we want to serve the community. So they were looking for charities to serve on their vacation. It was one of those moments where you don't feel like a Christian at all. You're like, yeah, we all do that, right? <laughs> but they're saying, like, we're inviting Jesus into our vacation. We're going to have great six days and then a great seventh day serving the community. Whatever you do, invite him to make it better. We cannot forget to bring the blessing of God to other people. Jesus wasn't in his own house here. He was somewhere else. He had accepted an invitation and he is being a blessing. And so how can we be a blessing to our community? Because we're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, to rejoice with those that rejoice. We don't always wanna do that, but there's some ways that we see in this passage that we can be better at serving our community. The first is in verse two. We can just accept more invitations. Jesus and his disciples were invited and they said, yeah, a wedding is important for us to be at. We want to, we want to support them. We want to bless them. Well, that's not the same thing as preaching and helping the poor and, and healing the sick. Well, Jesus felt perfectly comfortable saying, let's go here and celebrate life with them. So accept more invitations. You might not want to, you're likely not to want to go to your kid's end of the sports season celebration. You're like, oh, we're going to that same pizza place again and we're gonna have this and that. And, and it might not be fun for you, but accept more invitations so that you can be around other people and bring the blessing of God with you. You might not like weddings at all. You're like, what is Jesus going to wedding for? You gotta get dressed up, takes forever. The photo, everyone's always wrong on the photos. Oh, you'll see the bride and groom after the photos. In one hour, it's like 18 hours later, they finally show up. You, have, you can't have dinner. You can't have dinner until their photos are done. And it's thousands of years later, I'm not bitter. <laughs> at all. Accept more invitations. And then when you're there, look for opportunities to help. Jesus's mother came and said, they have no more wine. While we're at places, we should observe, is there a need? Some people just do this. They're at a party, they're over someone's house, and they just jump in and start doing the dishes. Shannon's mortified by me because if we have people over the house and they're like, can I do anything? Can I do the dishes? I'm always like, yeah, yeah, do the dishes, right? Why do you involve me, right? 
I'm always trying, and she's like, does she feel so embarrassed that I would say that? No, it's our house. I'm like, no, they're offering, sweetie. You <laughs> should let them do the dishes. Some people just do that. They just jump in and start helping. I'm going to go tie the pinata so that you can focus on enjoying your kid during this birthday party. Look for an opportunity to help. And then in verse 5, do whatever God tells you to do. Right? As you, as you see an opportunity, what is God telling you to do? How is God asking you to respond? Is it offering to help? Is it jumping in and helping without even asking? Do whatever the Spirit of God tells you to do. And then in verse 6, how do you do that? Use the available resources. There were six stone water jars nearby, and so that's what Jesus used. And so I'm, I'm not saying that God is telling us in this passage to go beyond our resources. Well, I guess I got to real quick apply for a new credit card, buy 700 bottles of wine, and then be in bankruptcy, right? No, what, what resources do we have that God is ca causing us to have joy in sharing with others? And then give God the glory. In verse 11, it says, even this unique miracle that is different than healing the sick gave God glory, and some of his disciples believed in him in a new way because of this. And so... We want to give God glory. If people are going over the top thanking us, how can we turn that conversation to point them to Jesus and give God the glory? Just the past two weeks, I've seen people in the church do this, where we had a, a church member go through a major surgery, and, and another person in the church just saw, when they heard this person was finally home after the surgery and, and doing well, they said, well, how can I bless them? How can I help this, this family? Well, they like to barbecue, and so they fired up the barbecue, and they made some amazing food and brought it over to the house. It was an available resource they had nearby. Somebody else found out that there was a need for this, for this couple to have short-term housing, and instead of saying, all right, well, we're going to, you know, text the whole church, and we'll call everyone, and we're going to find something, this person said, well, you can just stay with me for a few weeks. I'm like blown away. I would text you guys 10 times a day rather than say the first thought is to come and stay in the, we have a playroom that we have a little pull-out bed, but like, that's uncomfortable to have, you know, somebody else come and stay at your house. This person instead is a Christian and is like, yeah, of course, we've got the room, come and stay at our house. And they're using their available resources to be a blessing to others. Now, as we talk about what we should celebrate versus what kind of we should be a killjoy about, we have to remember that the, the enemy of our souls is trying to take the good gifts of God and corrupt them. And that's what he does. The devil wants you to believe that he is the author of fun and God is the most boring thing in the world, but he'll throw in heaven for you at the very end of it, right? It's not, it's not true. It's not true at all. If we look at the scriptures, we see God created wine, right? God is the one that made wine. The devil wants you to binge on it and hurt other people, but God created the gift of wine to show fullness and, and joy and, and celebration, right? You could say God created music. There's, there's worship music in heaven. There's worship music throughout the Bible. The greatest use of music is to, to make our hearts fall in love with God, to celebrate and enjoy life. And then the devil wants to kind of take that music and use it to, to corrupt people and say, you know, Culture really should rebel against God. And some of these songs you can't even really listen to. They're, so, they're just so filthy in, in what they say. And let's corrupt this good thing that God has made. God created sex. Oh, boy. Is that in my... That's in the notes. That's in there. It's in there. It's in the notes. I didn't... Oh, man. God created that. God called husband and wife to become one flesh. And he wants the family unit to succeed. And so he gave them the joy of sex to keep husband and wife together, to give them joy, to help them create kids so the family unit can be, can be stable. And then the devil's like, oh, there's, there's no fun with sex and marriage. All the fun is outside of, of marriage. 
And then we've got this counterfeit joy. He creates pornography. Like, oh, that's, that's where it's at. Affairs, that's where it's at. No, God says that, that sex is, is good in its rightful place. You know, you think about fire in a fireplace. We love our, our fireplace. We can play board games and read books in front of it. You just stare at a fire, whether it's a fire pit or a fireplace. That's a safe place for a raging fire. You know, what, you know what's not a safe place? The couch. The couch is not a good place for a fire. Candle tips over. You're like, oh my good, No. But in the fireplace is where it should be. And God is saying, I've got this great gift for you, but you have to keep it within marriage. We have to choose if we're going to trust God or trust the enemy. One is a liar and a thief trying to destroy our souls. The other died for us and loves us. And we just have to believe. We have to believe that he has our best interests in mind. God made fruit. The devil made vegetables. It's in the Bible. All right. So Jesus is at this wedding and he is the life of the party. Literally the source, the source of the joy there. But then we see in verse 13 that he becomes a killjoy. Why? Well, what they're celebrating now is sin. When it, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's a prophecy from Psalm 69 about the Messiah. This, is a, this should be the house of prayer. The temple courts is where people could come and they could, they could talk to God in heaven and, and beg him for help. But instead, they got kind of crowded out and there's people that are there for greed and scams instead. There was a need for money changers. People that came to worship at these feasts, they would bring their money from all over the world, and there was only a certain type of money that was accepted in the temple, and so they had to exchange it. But they didn't have to exchange it at such horrible interest rates, right, at such horrible exchange rates. They didn't have to do that. They were taking advantage of people. There was a need for people to sell animals nearby the temple. Some people, as they brought their, their animal that was without a spot or blemish as commanded by God, during the journey, the animal would, would you know, break a leg and all of a sudden not be acceptable. And so they would need to be able to purchase an animal that was without blemish, but they didn't have to do it at such an extreme price that people then couldn't do it. And that's what happened. People were coming to worship God and all of a sudden they left there unable to give their sacrifice because some people wanted more money instead of being fair. And this made Jesus bad. This is a different Jesus we read about in this paragraph, right? Making a whip and going Indiana Jones on people, just scaring everybody. It seems like the people even respected this because he's not arrested by the temple guard. They're upset, we're gonna see, but he's not arrested for this. It's like the people knew they were being taken advantage of. And Jesus is angry here, has a righteous anger because people are getting in the way of others being able to worship the Father. Jesus can be quite a killjoy if what we celebrate is sin. We see in this passage in verse 14 that Jesus sees our sin. It says, he found people selling. He observed the sin, he sees it. We see in verse 15 that he is against sin. He made a whip, scattered the animals and the people and overturned tables. Jesus is against our sin. 
We see that he wants us to stop sinning in verse 16. He says, get out, stop doing this. This is my father's house. What are you doing? He wants us to stop our sin. And he also helps us pursue holiness. There's a different way in verse 17. It says, zeal for your house has consumed me. That the house should be a house of prayer. People should be about their father and worship, not greed and scamming each other. And so are there things that our culture celebrates that we should not? Are there times in life where we have to say, oh, man, that looks like a good movie. It's also filthy. And so I will be one of the few that doesn't watch it. There's, there's got to be, some, I'm not telling you which movie. I'm just saying, shouldn't Christians be a little different if we're called to holiness, which means to be set apart? We don't have to judge others that go and see the movie, right? But, but should we have moments where culture says, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And, and we say, well, I can't, I can't see that. I can't listen to that. I can't go and be a part of that because while culture says it's amazing and even many, many of my Christian friends are doing it, I can't because I'm called to holiness. Now you may say, ah, it's gonna get weird. What? All I'm saying is shouldn't there be at least a little difference between the life of a believer and the life of someone in complete darkness from God? And we take that and apply it to our lives however the Holy Spirit tells us to, right? What is God telling us that we should do differently? But here's what else we know about Jesus. From the last chapter, John chapter one, we see that Jesus came full of grace and truth. This is the truth side of it, where Jesus is against sin, but there's a grace side of Jesus. He will always speak the truth, but he will always be gracious to the sinner. In John chapter eight, we're gonna see that Jesus forgives a woman caught in adultery that, that in that culture deserved like a death sentence. Her and the guy deserved it. What does Jesus do? He forgives, but he says, go and sin no more. He is gracious. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus is forgiving and gracious, over-the-top gracious with people that realize that they are broken because of their sin and realize that they need to repent. But then when there's people that don't care about repentance and they're preventing others from worshiping God, Jesus gets really angry. We're not upset at surgeons that cut out cancer from us. No one's like, oh, that surgeon is such a jerk right, that does that. It's, but it's a violent act being done on us. But we're offended that God or the scriptures, the spirit of God tells us that we should change our life. God is trying to accomplish the same exact thing as the surgeon. He is trying to heal our hearts, cleanse the temple of our hearts and replace it with something healthy and good that will bless us so much. And so we have to be open to that. Holiness gets a bad rap. <laughs> we only think of holiness in terms of denial. But holiness is much more an affection issue than it is a behavioral issue. If we grow in our love for Jesus, we will do his commandments, right? The more that we fall in love with him. To pursue holiness, we must pursue greater happiness and contentment in God, and we won't have a desire for the lesser things of this world. And so holiness gets a, a really bad rap, but think of what Jesus says in, in later chapters in John 15. He says, I've told you all of these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God is cleansing the temple of our heart, flipping over tables and saying, no, this sin is destroying you. It's hurting you and the people you love. Well, what are you gonna give me, Jesus? Joy. He's gonna give us joy in place of our destructive sin. We have to choose if we're going to trust him or not. 
Our unholy sin disease has a cure in the cross. Now, what right does Jesus have to tell us any of this? That's what the Jews wanted to know at this time. Look at verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days. But the temple he spoke of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is saying, you wanna know why? I can speak truth into your life, why I'm, I'm the judge that can say this is wrong, this isn't right. He's, I'm God, right? He's pointing to, he's, he's hinting at it now, but he's pointing to his death and resurrection. Even his disciples in this moment failed to see what was happening and were confused. But we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus really is God, last chapter, he is the word and the word was God. If we really believe Jesus is God, if Jesus really did come to this earth because he loves us so much that he would die on the cross for our sins, and then he was raised again three days later showing us that he was God, then whatever he says goes, and we can trust him because he loves us. He wants to give us joy. But yes, adjustments should be made in our life, and that's called repentance. That's inviting God in to clean house, to say, Lord, whatever you take away, it may hurt, I may miss it because I'm so familiar with my sin, but you will replace it with peace and love. And so I invite you to do that. The best reason we have for rejoice isn't even a wedding. In, in Luke chapter 10, it says rejoice. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Your name is written in the book of life. If we truly are born again and children of God, we can even go through dark times like we're experiencing in our world right now, the difficult times we experience locally because our names are written in heaven. We are safe and secure in the hands of Jesus and he will not let us slip out. He will not forget about us. He will always be the good shepherd that takes care of us and provides for us. The angels rejoice that our names are written in heaven. And in Luke 15, it says, every time a sinner repents, and comes to salvation, the angels rejoice in heaven. The angels know what's, what's worthy of celebrating. The angels aren't jumping up and down when I do a seafood boil, but they're jumping up and down when someone moves from darkness to light, when somebody who is lost is found, when someone who is, who is caught in their broken and destructive patterns finds freedom in Jesus. The angels in heaven shake the place and rejoice. What a reason to rejoice. And so as we look at our lives, and say, Lord, what do you want me to celebrate? What do you want me to get behind? What should bring me joy? Versus where should I be a killjoy and just not be a part of things? We have decisions to make, but they're hopeful decisions because Jesus says he's gonna replace anything we give to him with more joy. He's going to increase the joy that we have in life the more we yield to him. So let's pray and ask God to help us to make those difficult decisions of what to let go of and what to ask him for. Father. Lord, it's hard to say goodbye to our sin. Lord, even though we know our habits are destructive, there's a part of them that gives us temporary pleasure, temporary joy, uh, but the pain, the guilt, the shame, the hurt that we cause is, is too much, Lord. Give us clarity of thought right now. Increase our faith that we would trust in you more and be willing to repent of our sins 
Lord, let you ruin that part of our lives and replace it with joy. Lord, you want to be the source of our life. You want to give us happiness and joy, but it's got to be found safely in, in you. Give us faith, Lord, in this moment now, if we're going to believe the culture, the world, the enemy, or if we're going to believe your word. It's a harder decision than we even think, even though we know you're God. Give us that faith to choose life instead of choosing death. We thank you that you're a God that rejoices. Pray that you'd increase our joy also. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to pray for the people of Ukraine, for the church in Ukraine and in Russia. Um, next week, next week on March 6, we're starting a brand new class. It's a 10-year it's a through the Bible class. You can come for just one book of the Bible or for a bunch of them. But next week, we start 1 Thessalonians. It's during the service, so you'd have to either come to service at 9 a.m. or the 11.40 a.m. service and, and go to the class during this service. It's in small church. So you'll find the information on our website. I pray that God blesses you this week.